As we approach the new year, I wanted to replay one of my favorite episodes from 2019. A lot of my current listeners may have missed this one, and even if you did hear the original, it's a great one to re-listen to over the next couple of weeks as we begin setting intentions for the new year. This episode is full of reminders for how we can implement new, simple rhythm to combat stress and anxiety or to simply start better habits. So here's my talk with Rebecca Lyons that originally aired in November 2019. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms Podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. This week, I speak with author and national speaker, Rebecca Lyons. An old soul with a contemporary, honest voice, Rebecca reveals her own battles to overcome anxiety and depression and invites others to discover and boldly pursue their purpose. Her work has been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, Huffington Post, The Tennessean, and Publishers Weekly, and more. Today, she is here to speak about her most recent book, Rhythms of Renewal. We discuss the importance of rest, stepping away from technology, and creating rhythms in our day-to-day, which ultimately help to renew our body and soul. I'm really excited to have you here today and to discuss your latest project, Rhythms of Renewal. So we'll just go ahead and get started. What prompted you to write this one? Well, I had a history of nine years ago, had my first panic attack. Actually, we had just moved to New York City. We had three children in elementary school, four, seven, and nine. And we had sold most of what we had, left our home of 13 years, our friends, our our things. And we just had a midlife reset. And in so many ways, it was the right decision for what our work and what we were doing, but also very scary and different. And I think New York was a pressure cooker that pushed some of those things to the surface. And so in four months in, I had my first panic attack, rooted a little bit in claustrophobia, but very much stemming from um, uh, stress, <laughs> stress that escalated. And in that city, you have 8 million people in the span of 11 miles and there is no such thing as personal space. And I found myself always feeling metaphorically trapped. And maybe I was trapped in a new season of life that I was not prepared for. But very much so, it was a spiral that lasted over a year and a lot of crying out to God, a lot of honesty with my people and feeling really that I was getting to the end of myself. And in so many ways, it was the best thing for me but it was also the hardest thing. And so walking that out, I remember crying out to God about a year in, flooded with peace, knowing that a healing journey was beginning, but that I would still need some boundaries for help to to live a, a different way, to live in a new way. Because I had always been a chronic overachiever, type A control freak, and high capacity person that really didn't see any obstacles as um, something that I couldn't push through until I got into this this setting in New York. And I think what happened is that instead of finding meaning, I found surrender. And I can tell you today that meaning follows surrender. There is so much life for us on the other side of a surrendered yes, a, you know, a posture of humility, brokenness, you know, palms wide open saying, okay, I want to reestablish what I want my life to be about. 
And it turned into these four rhythms, these boundaries and these rhythms that invited me into flourishing. I do want to dive a little bit deeper into all of the rhythms before the end of the podcast, but I do want to just touch on what your opinion is to why there is such widespread anxiety and stress in this society right now. And do you feel like there's an end in sight? There is only an end in sight to our degree of willingness to make radical changes. Uh, The culture is not going to offer us an end in sight. The only end in sight that we're going to actually find is if we decide we're going to swim upstream, we're going to do a counterculture response for our sustained mental health. Because everything coming at us is not going to invite us into that. Everything that's coming at us is just more noise, more chaos, more distraction, and more numbing out. But that takes us from being human. And we were not made to operate like machines. We were operated to shut off. So I think we've gotten here because the digital revolution as well as the industrial revolution are always about machines that never turn off out of out of. Uh, efficiency and cost effectiveness, but our bodies are not machines, we're humans. And so we have to literally come back to the constraints that people a couple centuries ago lived in rhythm because they had to. There was a circadian rhythm where the sun said blue light, a sunrise emits blue light that tells you to wake up and it emits red light at a sunset that tells you to go to sleep. And that's natural melatonin for your body. But when we start to operate as if we are machines physically, we just burn out. We literally, our bodies wear down. And so we're in this wear down cycle in society right now because we, our minds are trying to tell, our brains are trying to tell our bodies to keep going, to always be on, that you're never enough, that your worth is attached to your latest accomplishment. And none of that is true, but we've bought it. And so we keep rolling online. We keep striving. We keep hustling. We keep trying to prove our worth. And, and it's killing us. It's actually killing us. And so part of what we have to do is to, to like pump the brakes, get humans, like our actual people in the same room and go, I want to make a change. And I know it's not going to be easy because the temptation is just to numb out and consume. But I actually want to, I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to be creative. I want to be resourceful. I want my life to have significance that comes from a deep place from within me, not from me just trying to attach myself to what everybody else is doing. When I do set aside regular time to rest, which I really haven't in October, but when I have in the past, whether that's on the day-to-day or once a week on more of a Sabbath day, that I'm a better mother, I'm a better wife, I am just all around producing better content creatively. And you're more joyful, actually. Inherently, when you slow down long enough, you begin to look at what you have, you begin to be grateful. And when you interrupt your anxiety with gratitude, you obvi- you automatically get peace and joy. That's like a gift in scripture. It just says, God says, hey, if you ask me for peace, um, I'm sorry, if you ask me for things with thanksgiving and gratitude, I'm going to flood you with peace. It's like a spiritual principle. It's a promise. And so part of like the problem is we don't have peace because we're not grateful and we're not grateful because we can't actually see what we already have. We're too busy looking at what somebody else has that we don't have. And so we never get peace. We never feel gratitude. We always feel like we do not have enough. But when we start to have that joy, that inside out kind of joy, that becomes contagious. 
for somebody else. They're like, wow, I mean, look at her circumstance. And she still like seems so joyful. I want that. Whatever it is she's doing, I want that. I definitely think that joy is a fruit of taking the time to rest every day or rest once a week, whatever you choose to do. Rest is the first rhythm that you discuss in your book, and it's going to look different for every person. So how would you suggest and how do you suggest we rest? Well, in the four rhythms in the book, rest, restore, connect, create, rest is the first rhythm. It's foundational. And so I give seven chapters for each rhythm, which gives a lot of different expressions that I think people can find their own version within those things. They can come up with different ways to talk about it. But in general, rest, you need routines for deep sleep. You need a morning routine that you do the next day because you had good sleep. Uh, You take inventory of your life and you answer the questions of what's right, what's wrong, what's confusing, what's missing. You get quiet. So that you know the things you need to change or confess or or apologize for. Like you you don't know what needs to get worked on until you get quiet. So that's a form of rest. Uh, you take Sabbath, like you mentioned, and then obviously daily there still has to be a posture of rest uh, in the way that you start your day. And I do think the first hour does it's the rudder for the day. It sets the framework for the next fifteen hours. So if we just barrel through and run out the door in a, in a in a frenzy, that gives the tone for the rest of the day. Uh, so rest, I think everyone's going to find a different expression of that. But um, but I do think uh, doing the hard work, taking time off tech, like my second chapter is Tech Detox, because we have given so many hours of our day that we used to use towards a restful posture. And we have now replaced those hours and put them online. And uh, if we were to all throw our phones in the water right now, we would all probably wind up taking naps. So the, I'm not advocating that because I, I think what, what we're finding now is there is a dependency on technology. And, and that's okay, like that there are things that it, it is now a new way to fuel our work. So I'm not against that. But when we don't have the discipline to self-regulate that and it becomes addiction, that's when we have to get uh, really aware of our limitations and then how it, whatever it used to contribute, now it's, be, it's, it's robbing you of. And, and only each person can assess the power of that resource in their hands. I like that you say it's a discipline that we have to cultivate because it really is hard at first to step away and to take that rest. But when we do step away, it'll obviously benefit us so much. Yeah, I think it's a natural, um, it's a natural arc. Like there's seasons for everything. So I launched a book October 1st. So I was online obviously a lot more in that month because I had been very quiet really leading into it. Uh, we had adopted a year ago and brought a girl home from China. In so many ways, I benched myself professionally in the public space because I was not online as much and I wasn't traveling to teach as much, but I was certainly writing in a very diligent in my craft in a private way. Mm-hmm. And then the moment comes where you're like, okay, now I'm ready to share this because it's something that I really gave a lot of energy towards, a lot of thought, a lot of discipline over the years. So I'm going to need to talk about it, obviously, just to steward the opportunity of it and to be grateful for it. But then it's so funny, even in the last week, I tell Gabe, I'm like, uh, I'm just kind of ready to get offline again because 
my soul needs some rest. It needs some quiet more than just, you know, one day a week. And maybe I just have to think through what that looks like. Um, but I think we have to answer those questions honestly. Like if you're not feeling compelled to get online, I would just say, listen to that and be like, okay with it. Does it mean you're getting behind or you're, you know, your life doesn't matter if it's not posted? No, it just means you're actually trying to live a life of intention and discipline is very much a part of that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people feel that this fear of missing out if they're not posting or not checking, or if you are a creator and you take the time to step away, you're afraid that your following will decrease. I know that that's contributed to my fear in kind of taking a break or stepping away. But as you said, you you took some time, but you were still working creatively behind the scenes on your writing. And I think that the the audience was there when you came back and when you stepped back into it. And so I think that, well, personally, I believe God blessed you on that and like listening to the rhythms that you needed to take. But I, I also think that there's just something to be said about if if what you're doing is purposeful, that you'll find an audience for it. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. We can't preach, but we can't write or we can't teach what we haven't already walked through personally. There's no authority. If we try to just say, hey, here's a topic everyone seems to resonate with, I'll talk about it. No, you, you don't actually have authority to even talk about something if you haven't personally had to walk through that. And, and in my opinion, in private, mm-hmm. um, to, to have some revelation that comes from it. You know, a lot of times in writing, it's, it's not just the story of what you went through. It's what you learned, mm-hmm. what it taught you. Um, and it's hard to be taught something or, or to discover or awaken to something if we're always looking to somebody else to tell us the answer, like I think we, God actually puts a lot of his internal promptings in us and he's just waiting for us to get quiet enough so we can hear it mm-hmm. so that we can discern, reflect, uh, get honest. Um, again, this is all getting us back to being human and that humanity that God wants with us, that, that communion, um, it, it just cannot happen in the same way when we are always looking for that communion with people through a screen, it's, it, it just becomes this like low hum that, that almost robs the real richness that's waiting. It's like waiting in the quiet place, that secret place. Um, and then you can take what you learn there and what you, you know, what got it just shown a light on. And then you can share that when the time comes, but, some things really are just for us. And I, I would, I want to just address what you said about the fear of losing followers. And um, the algorithms are created for us to fear that. They're literally, they are shaped so that we will fear that if we get quiet or if we walk away, because that's what an idol does. It demands everything of us. And then it, in the end, it offers everything, but but delivers nothing. <laughs> um, ultimately, when you play it fully out, if if it delivers um, fear, if it delivers anxiety, if it delivers like this, you know, fear of missing out, then it's offering like all this fame and popularity and fortune. But in the end, you're kind of like, but yeah, look at my mental state right now. Look at my relationships in my actual life. Are they suffering? Um, so part of it, it comes back to going, how do I use this as a tool, but not an idol to where I have to fear, um, that, that if it goes away, I have nothing left. And I think part of it is 
getting back to the idea that if we have real giftings, which we do, I mean, there's no question that God has given each of us unique birthright gifts that, that when we start to walk in those things, whether it's the use of words or, or craftsmanship or writing or teaching or singing or, or whatever it is, like counseling, whatever you love to do that makes your heart come alive, uh, there will always, like you said, there will always be an audience for that when the time comes by whatever means. And if Instagram's not around in three years, it'll be something else. If you know what I mean? Like there, there will always be a way when you walk in the center of the gifts that you've been given in the womb and the destiny God calls you towards, there will be always a, a new way to operate in it. And just because this current model looks like, oh my goodness, this is, this is everything. It's not. And there'll always be new ways that are invented for us to, to champion um, the things that we are called to. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, you look at all the things that used to be here that are now not here. And I, it's easy to get caught up in and in, in thinking like, this is the thing, but it never is. You know, things change all the time. And that to me is a comfort. Sometimes I'm like, man, you know, if the new thing comes tomorrow and the, the current thing is no longer attract, attractive, people people don't care about moving on. It's crazy to me. So in some ways, it's like just we focus on the gift itself and our the talents and the burdens and walking out in our creativity. Uh, there, there will always be joy in doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's always going to be a trade-off when you're saying yes to something, you're going to say no to something else and vice versa. And I think that I'm, I am about to finish the book essentialism. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I've just, it's been really convicting to me because as I told you before we jumped on here that I'm trying to balance all of these different roles while also having this newborn. And we have just recently moved and reading this book, it's like, what is priority? What takes priority? Well, obviously like my family should, should come first. They haven't been coming first. And it's, that's where the convicting part has come in because priority means one. It doesn't mean many. What are, what is my priority? And I'm trying to take on all these things to try and benefit the future, but it's like, what is important right now? Right. It's true. It's right in front of us. It's easy to look at this hypothetical thing that we can't see yet. And yet there's, there's ministry, there's purpose, uh, there's people right in front of us. And I, I'm the same. I have four children, the teens, kindergarten, we're all over the map. And they're looking at me going like, what are you going to invest here while I'm still at home? And man, if that's not convicting, I don't know what is. So yeah, I think we can all encourage each other to, I, I mean, the thing is, is like the work we do is joyful if it's using our gift, no matter whether it's at home or outside of the home. But let's not trade one for the other or let's not sacrifice one for the other. Let's let's ask God to actually be big enough, which he is, to show us a way to be faithful in the, how we steward. I mean, yes, I am passionate about teaching. It's probably my favorite thing. It's right there with writing. It might even be a, a hair above writing because I love both for different reasons. Um, like I love teaching in person on a stage with people because I get to actually talk to them afterwards, see them, hear their stories. There's something about being in in contact with people, not just through a screen or through a book. Um, 
there's a real time of that that's so joyful for me. But then I I have people at home that I can't wait to get back to and go like, how are we going to live this weekend to the fullest? How is Sabbath going to, how are we going to all put all that extra stuff away so we can connect and commune as a family? Because if I'm connecting all over the country and I'm not connecting in my home, that is a huge, huge red light. Um, red flag. Maybe that's a better, yeah. <laughs> better use of it. But um, it, it stinks because God doesn't call us to things that will ask us to abandon family. And so we have to really, even as women, I think, as mothers, as wives, as daughters, as friends, men have their own res- roles and responsibilities with this too, but we have to take our roles and responsibilities with this as well, um, equally seriously. And knowing that the clock does tick, we think we'll have forever with our children at home and we just don't. And what do we need to change to make sure that we are leveraging those days? I do want to get into some practicals here before we finish, but I do want you to have the chance to explain what the other three rhythms are that you talk about in your book. Sure. So rest, restore, connect, create are the four rhythms in the book. I wanted this book to be practical, actionable. A lot of these rhythms are free. I mean, like we don't want this to be an expensive therapeutic regimen. We want this to be like, these are things that are already at your fingertips. Like a sunset is free. And it's one of the most therapeutic things for going to sleep at night. Uh, this idea of, um, so, so rest is all about your inner life and your spiritual health and restores your physical life, your physical health. So rest and restore are input rhythms because you can't give what you haven't received. And I think 77% of us as a society are feeling physical symptoms of stress because we're not doing these input rhythms in particular. Those are usually the lower ones. We all want to connect and create, and we all want to pour out. We all want significance, but we're not quieting our heart and getting filled. So we have something fresh to actually say, um, something fresh to actually model or demonstrate. Conviction comes in the quiet. Repentance comes in the quiet. Apologies come in the quiet. Heart, like heart healing comes in the quiet. And we cannot barrel through in the busy and avoid those things because grief, actually will spill out in a lot of different directions if we don't take it seriously. Um, So rest and restore. And then the last two are connect and create. And so connect and create are obviously output rhythms. Connect is all about relational health. Um, A lot of chapters in there on friendship, intimacy, vulnerability, marriage, conflict resolution, apologizing, um, hosting, hospitality, welcoming people, loneliness. Um, relational health is huge for us, as we know, because depression stems from our epidemic of loneliness that we currently see happening right now. 46% have high feelings of loneliness in our generation. 27% say they don't have a real deep, close friend. Um, and the last rhythm is create. And that's all about passion, purpose, what we were made for, working with our hands, recovering, dreaming again. Uh, taking care of things, saying yes to risk, being responsible, and having imaginative play. All those things are the execution of a call or an assignment or a vocational help. I'm a little over halfway done with the book right now, and I've really enjoyed all the aspects that you've 
poured into these four rhythms. And I hope that people pick up a copy so they can dive a little bit deeper into each of these as well. But what is just one practical step or change that someone listening can make today so that they can start working to overcome their own personal fear and anxiety? Yeah. So the first step I would say is uh, vulnerability. I'm sorry, taking inventory of your life. It's the first chapter of the rest rhythm and the first chapter of the book. It's called uh, take inventory, like stop long enough to answer four questions. What's right, what's wrong, what's confused and what's missing. And in fact, if people are listening, um, it'd be good to start with knowing your healthiest rhythm. And then you can know um, just how to strengthen the other three because you really do need all four. Um, if one's wonderful, that means the others are suffering on some level. And and so it's important to have a holistic version of healing. So if you go to RebeccaLyons.com slash quiz, you can discover your healthiest rhythm in five minutes, 40 questions, multiple choice, really easy. And you'll get a quick response with tips to strengthen the other three. And then when you get the book and you do this take inventory assessment, um, it's a free download and it'll come with um, purchasing the book and it helps you walk through those four things. Because when we start to go like, hey, my work is doing really well in my life, but my relationships are actually suffering. Or maybe I feel failure in my role as a mother. Like that's anxiety. So anxiety then goes, if I feel I'm failing as a mother, then I have fear that I haven't set my kids up well and that as adults, they're not going to actually feel confident or free or independent or loving or whatever those things are. So part of it is us just getting back to the honest truth of where we're at um, confused is a question people sometimes struggle with because they're confused. And it's like, what's confusing our, in our lives usually look something like unmet expectations or job transitions we weren't thinking or any kind of life transition. Someone walked away from our, a relationship that we're in and, and that's confusing. Um, but we've got to, again, get honest with those things because um, when we start to actually uh, heal what has been hidden, uh, then we actually begin to walk in peace. And, and so part of this is just exposing the things that are there, stopping long enough to be honest with them and inviting people to join us in, in those things and inviting God in, quite frankly, to the places of pain that we've just tried to bury or suppress through busyness. This is all so good. And I'm just really excited for listeners to hear the wisdom that you have given us in this episode. And as we wrap things up, I want to ask you the question that I ask every guest. What is your minimalist moment of the week? Well, I am purging my closet right now for a consignment um, sale that's in Nashville. And that's I, um, I'm always purging something in my home. We have six humans that bring things through the door every day. So I feel like I'm um, donating books to the library regularly and donating um like items of clothing that they keep growing out of at consignment sale. So that's my current minimalist moment as of four days ago. And what about a resource of the week for us? This is typically something that can be minimalist or just something that you're excited about and can't stop talking about. Sure. There's a new book out that I um, am loving called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's... um, it's really deep, but it's really wonderful. It talks about brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. And I think part of what I'm studying so much and curious about is that because we have 
physical symptoms of stress. It's more about what is our body keeping the score of? What what things are we holding on to that maybe are part of our story of, you know, emotional disconnection or rejection or abandonment um, in ways that it's still playing out in our adult lives. And because I think we all, we will all want healing. We want to be the, our whole um, most, you know, complete versions of ourselves for our current context, whether we're mothers and wives or, or friends, whatever. We want to bring our best selves to those relationships. And we have a hard time doing that if there's stuff we're still holding on to physically from, you know, decades in the past. And so I just, I think it's a really uh, wonderful book on how we can get free of some of those things. And can you let everyone know where they can find you and pick up a copy of your new book? They can connect with me at RebeccaLyons.com. It's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S.com. And it's at Rebecca Lyons for all socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, as far as the book, Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose, that is Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. It's starting to show up in retail outlets as well, which is really fun. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the Minimalist Moms podcast. I think that people are really going to enjoy this one. Thank you for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.